Welcome back to the Rules Plus podcast. At the end of the last episode, I teased you with a play situation to consider over the coming week. I chose the scenario for two reasons. One, the play actually happened recently to a crew of my colleagues in the Austin Football Officials Association. And two, it just happens to serve as the perfect segue into the topic for this week's episode that features the next dyad or the siblings project to understand how the similarities and differences in parallel rules can help us understand and apply them. You'll recall that I firmly believe that our goal in studying NCAA football rules should be to resist approaching rules as if they are silos and instead consider the ripple effects that rules have on each other. The rules dyad I'm going to talk about this week is illegal kicks versus illegally kicking. To um, kick off the discussion, let's start with the play I presented for your consideration at the end of last week's episode. I'll refer to it as the end zone enigma play. Here it is again. A punter deep in his own territory muffs the snap. While chasing the ball that's bouncing around, his foot contacts the ball, causing it to go into the end zone where his teammate, a player on the kicking team, recovers it. That player comes out of the end zone with the ball in his possession and returns the ball 100 yards for a touchdown. But just as the return was starting, another one of the teammates committed an illegal blindside block in the end zone. What should the ruling be? So the task at hand is determining what happened. Let's hope, first of all, that the covering official clearly and efficiently conveys to the referee what foul has occurred. What critical information does the referee need? It may seem obvious, but after working the position of referee for about a third of my career now, I can tell you that in the excitement of the moment, covering officials can be prone to present disjointed, incomplete, uh, even inaccurate information. Working in crews is very helpful in ensuring such communication runs smoothly, but even in a crew, Sometimes the referee and or the reporting official can get mixed up when they make assumptions about what each other is saying or thinking. So let me share with you a breakdown of really the four things I really need to know from a report a covering official gives me. I don't necessarily need to know these things in this order, but you may find that many referees do prefer that you adopt a default protocol for sequencing this information in your report. The four things I need to know, what is the foul? Who committed the foul? That is, which team and what number? When was the foul? That is, during which play during the down? And was there a live ball or a dead ball at the time? And finally, where was the foul? How can such a report go wrong? I can tell you from experience.
Thing one, what is the foul? In just the last episode a week ago, I spoke of the importance of knowing and using properly the specialized vocabulary of the rules. That's why this week's focus on the illegal kick versus illegally kicking dyad is worthy of attention, as we'll see shortly. But why is vocabulary so important in reporting what foul has occurred? Well, here's why. After a fourth and one play is stuffed near midfield, suppose you report to the referee after the play that you have offside by number 81. But the foul you have is, in fact, that the wide receiver number 81 was well into and beyond the neutral zone. That foul is not offside. It is encroachment, and offensive players are restricted from being in the neutral zone once the snapper has established himself. Only Team B may be offside, and only Team A may encroach. So when the referee hears the report of offside, absent any additional detail from your report, he is going to signal offside against the defense, leading everyone to believe Team A has just been gifted a first down. The answer to what the foul is should have been encroachment, and in fact, the play should, therefore, have been blown dead immediately. When we have a situation in which we let a play proceed that should have been stopped, we have a situation not unlike the nightmare of an inadvertent whistle. As bad as the outcome may be of stopping a play prematurely, so too can be the outcome of stopping a play belatedly. Thing two, who committed the foul? If you're lucky, when the referee learns that the foul you have is on a player wearing number 81, it may register with him that there's something odd here and follow up immediately with questions to seek clarification. Isn't number 81 on offense? Isn't that the wideout? On fourth and one, is the wideout's position relevant to a runoff tackle? Is this foul on offense against a player who doesn't figure to have much to do with the result of the play? Might we stay with this flag? If Team A's run had achieved the first down, would we stay with this flag? These are the realistic considerations a crew would have to make in such a situation in which a down was allowed to be completed when a flag has been thrown for what should be a dead ball foul. Thing three, when was the foul? We know that many, perhaps even most downs, comprise more than one play. It's a fair guess, for example, that most downs that include a forward pass or a kick have at least the pass play or kick play portion followed by a run play. Are you always alert to which play was going on when you observe a foul? Here are two examples from games I've talked about this year in our AFOA Rules Plus study sessions. Play one illustrates the importance of identifying the play during which a foul occurred. Play two illustrates the importance of identifying whether a foul occurred during live ball action or immediately after the ball had become dead. So here's play one. 
During a kickoff down, two fouls are reported. Foul one is a block in the back by a member of the kicking team, certainly an unusual circumstance that is essentially simply a personal foul, an unnecessary roughness issue. Foul two is holding by the receiving team. With fouls by both teams during the down, it's easy to quickly assume the fouls offset. But knowing when each foul occurred is important. Did both fouls occur during the kick play? Did both fouls occur during the run play that followed the kick play? Or did one foul occur during the kick play and the other during the run play? And if so, which occurred first? If both fouls occurred during the same play, the result is indeed offsetting fouls. If the foul by the receiving team occurred during the kick play, the result is indeed offsetting fouls because the receiving team is the team last in possession and it had fouled before gaining possession. If the foul by the receiving team occurred during the run play, however, it could choose to refuse offsetting fouls and retain possession of the ball after enforcement of the penalty for its holding foul. So here's play two. During Team A's long touchdown run, an overzealous Team A blocker follows up on his block to re-engage a Team B defender whom he has blocked into the out-of-bounds team area, now well behind the ball carrier by perhaps 30 or 40 yards. The Team A player has committed a personal foul, either by initiating a block on a player who is out-of-bounds or blocking a player who is obviously out of the play. Is this a live ball foul or a dead ball foul? If it's a live ball foul, the touchdown will not stand. If it's a dead ball foul, the touchdown will stand, and the penalty will be enforced on the try or the kickoff at the option of Team B. In both cases, knowing for sure the answer to the when question clearly carries very important consequences. Thing four, where was the foul? The answer to the where question is about more than simply getting correct what the yard line is from where a penalty may be enforced. The where can matter critically for whether there's even a foul in situations such as ineligible receiver downfield, illegal forward pass or illegal kick from beyond the neutral zone, intentional grounding, eligibility to block during a free kick, illegal block below the waist, leverage or leaping, horse collar tackle, illegal substitution, among many others. And of course, scoring by means of a safety may depend on determining whether a foul occurs in a team's own end zone, a determination that is central to getting the ruling correct for the end zone enigma play. So, Reviewing now the critical information for the end zone enigma play. As it happens, the covering official for the end zone enigma play is probably the referee, with perhaps some input from one of the wing officials. Here are the four pieces of information the referee should have noted as the calling official.
So what is the foul for the Enigma down? Did the punter make an illegal kick? That seems quite obvious, but then I just shared a cautionary tale about thinking a wide receiver who's in the neutral zone seems to be quite obviously offside too. We must think like officials, not like spectators, commentators, or even coaches. We have a specialized vocabulary that matters. It's time to consider the rules dyad illegal kick versus illegally kicking. The act of kicking is unambiguously defined in 216.1a as being an intentional striking of the ball with the knee, lower leg, or foot. The immediate subsequent subsections B and C elaborate that a legal kick is a punt, drop kick, or place kick, which continues to be a kick until the ball is caught or recovered. Subsection D directs that when in doubt, a ball is accidentally touched rather than kicked. The contact described in the Enigma play would not seem to constitute a kick. If at first glance it appeared that there was a kicking play and then a running play during this down, that first impression is in error. This down does not include a kick play. No foul has put the ball into the end zone. What and who, then, are responsible for the ball being in the end zone? Four types of plays may occur during a down. A forward pass play, a free kick play, a scrimmage kick play, and or a running play. Since a kick has not occurred, the only play or plays occurring during this down is or are running plays, which is confirmed in 234, which provides that a running play, quote, is any live ball action other than that during a free kick play, a scrimmage kick play, or a legal forward pass play, end quote. A running play includes, quote, the run and the loose ball action before a player gains or regains possession or the ball is declared dead, end quote. This down, therefore, consists of two running plays. The first includes the interval between the legal snap and the recovery of the loose ball in the end zone. The second includes the return for the touchdown. So now it's possible to note the final three pieces of information that the referee should have for this down. So here are the answers for the remaining three things. So who committed the foul during the Enigma play? The punter did not commit a foul. The foul for an illegal blindside block was committed by a teammate of the punter and of the player who ran for a touchdown. So when was the foul committed during the Enigma play? The foul was committed during the second running play. And so where was the foul committed during the Enigma play? The foul was committed in the kicking team's own end zone. Now that the referee has the four pieces of information that he needs, it's time to consider what are the options for team B. Well, 
The result of the play is a touchdown, so it's clear that Team B will accept the penalty for the illegal block. The question, of course, is what the enforcement spot should be. Rule 9 provides that penalties for live ball personal fouls behind the neutral zone are enforced from the previous spot, except in the case when such a foul occurs behind Team A's goal line. Then the result of the penalty is a safety. So there's the answer to the Enigma down plays. Team A's foul in the end zone results in a safety. Team B might think there could be an option to enforce the penalty from the previous spot, thinking that for fouls by Team A during a scrimmage kick, it has the option to have the penalty enforced from the previous spot or the spot where the kick ended. Team B might even make the argument that the kick ended where it was recovered by Team A in the end zone. So Team B could take the ball at that spot for a touchdown, right? Well, there are two major flaws in such an argument. One, there has not been a scrimmage kick. Two, even if there had been a scrimmage kick, the loose ball never crossed the neutral zone, so PSK rules would not apply. And three, even if there had been a scrimmage kick, Team B would not be the team that would next put the ball in play. The point is that Team B's arguments would be ridiculous, but its arguments could nevertheless seem at least momentarily plausible if you're not very careful and methodical about dissecting what happened during the play. So here's the final word on illegal kick versus illegally kicking. Perhaps a better play scenario to illustrate the difference between an illegal kick and illegally kicking the ball would be to adjust the enigma play scenario a bit. Suppose that the punter fields the snap and punts the ball, which is blocked and fails to cross the neutral zone. The ball bounds into the end zone where the punter then kicks the loose ball while it's lying on the ground to prevent a Team B player from recovering it. The ball either goes out of the end zone or deflects off the Team B player and goes out of bounds at the five-yard line. What are the outcomes and options then? Well, you've got to be comfortable with your knowledge of at least six rules topics in order to sort out this play. One, you need to know provisions governing a scrimmage kick in Rule 6, Section 3. Two, you need to know provisions governing safety and touchback in Rule 8, Sections 5 and 6, respectively. Three, you need to know provisions governing blocking as opposed to batting a loose ball in Rule 2, Section 11. Four, you need to know provisions governing kicking a loose ball and a scrimmage kick in Rule 2, Section 16. Five, you need to know provisions governing batting and kicking in Rule 9, Section 4. And 6. You need to know provisions governing enforcement procedures in Rule 10, Section 2. Rule 6 specifies that the only kicks that are legal are a punt, drop kick, or place kick made according to rule. That's in 6.3.10. Thankfully, the rule explains further that three types of kicks are illegal, a return kick, 
a scrimmage kick beyond the neutral zone, and a scrimmage place kick made when a device or material is used to mark the spot for the kick or to elevate the ball. While an illegal kick causes the ball to become dead immediately, the foul for making an illegal kick is a live ball foul with a five-yard penalty. And enforcement spots are specified for illegal kicks. Rule 9 provides that a player, quote, shall not kick a loose ball, a forward pass, or a ball being held for a place kick by an opponent, end quote. That's in 944. The penalty is 10 yards, and unless the kicking occurs when a legal scrimmage kick is beyond the neutral zone, a loss of down is also included. No enforcement spot is specified, which is important because enforcement is therefore covered by the protocol for basic spot enforcement with the three-in-one principle as provided in 10-2-2. So we must be crystal clear in determining what foul has occurred when a player kicks a loose ball. An illegal kick is an otherwise legal kick made in the wrong place or at the wrong time. An act of illegally kicking is an inherently illegal way of making a kick. We're now ready to unravel the revised version of the Enigma play. So in the revised Enigma play, the punter initially makes a legal scrimmage kick. The blocking by Team B is legal. Responsibility for the ball being in the end zone is assigned to Team A as the result of the punt because initial impetus is imparted by a player who kicks the ball, legally or not. When the punter kicks the loose ball, he has fouled and initial impetus has been expended. The new impetus, however, still belongs to Team A and the status of the ball being loose as a result of a scrimmage kick is not changed. In the case of the ball going out of bounds from the end zone, the ball became dead in Team A's end zone with Team A responsible for the ball being in and becoming dead in the end zone. So the result of the play is a safety. The enforcement spot for illegally kicking the ball is the basic spot, which is the previous spot for legal scrimmage kicks that don't cross the neutral zone. But in accordance with the three-in-one principle, the enforcement spot becomes the spot of the foul, leaving Team A in possession in the end zone. That outcome, too, results in a safety. In the case of the ball going out of bounds at the five-yard line, the ball belongs to the receiving team at the dead ball spot because Team A's foul for illegally kicking the ball did not change the status of the ball as being a scrimmage kick. You can see that in 637 and 944. Team B may well prefer this outcome and decline the penalty for Team A's foul. As we saw in the case of the ball becoming dead in the end zone, the enforcement spot for Team A's foul is the spot of the foul because of the three-in-one principle. So Team A might instead prefer to accept the penalty and the resulting safety depending on the circumstances at the time.
But just when you thought we were done, hold on, there's still one more wrinkle to consider. Suppose the ball went out of bounds farther down the field, say at the 15 or perhaps 20-yard line, at any rate, a point beyond the neutral zone. The ball would still belong to Team B at the out-of-bounds spot, but now the down includes a scrimmage kick that has crossed the neutral zone. You'll recall the provision in 6.4.13 that provides an additional enforcement option for Team B when there are fouls by Team A during a scrimmage kick that crosses the neutral zone, namely an option to enforce the penalty at the spot where the subsequent dead ball belongs to Team B. For a kick out of bounds at, for example, the 20-yard line, Team B could accept the penalty and have the ball at the 10-yard line instead of taking the safety. So let's talk about the durability of ball status. If you listened to last week's episode, you may recall that in talking about the implications of muffing a loose ball, I made a pretty big deal about the concept in American football of the continuity and durability of ball status. Despite deflections, touches, and even kicking or batting fouls that change impetus, the status of loose balls remains unchanged throughout the interval when the ball is loose. All the while, during this Enigma play down, there was a single scrimmage kick play. As complicated as this, as this scenario is, determining play outcome and penalty enforcement comes down to simply recognizing what kind of a play occurred. After that, doing the right thing comes down to knowing what the foul is and what the provisions are for enforcing it. The American football concept of the continuity and durability of the status of a loose ball is consistently invoked throughout the rules book. It is a critical concept to understand in determining possession, penalty enforcement, and scoring during downs when loose balls occur and changes of possession may occur. So on that note, now we are finished. I've now covered nine of the 15 rules dyads I've identified for the Sibling Rules Project. The next dyad of the week is forward pass versus backward pass. I hope you'll return next week to see what unforeseen or obscure wrinkles we can discover together about these rules separated at birth. If you'd like an appetizer for next week, ponder this common scenario that referees live in fear of. Quarterback A-12 is in the grasp of B-52 when A-12 attempts a last-moment pass to outlet running back A-24. After the ball leaves A-12's hand as he's being spun around, the ball lands several yards behind the yard line from which A-12 released the ball. What should the ruling be? Remember, I'm a member of the Austin Football Officials Association. If you'd like to learn more about us, contact us. You can email us at recruiting at AFOA.WS, visit our website at www.austinfootballofficials.org, or call us at 512-298-2987. Till next time, have a great week.